This episode of Check the Locks is brought to you by our friends at Audible. Audible is your one-stop shop for audio entertainment where you can always find the best of what you love or discover something new. That's right. Audible offers an incredible selection of audiobooks across every genre, from mysteries, thrillers, biographies, and of course, true crime. And as an Audible member, you can choose one title a month from their catalog to keep forever, including the latest bestsellers and new releases. Audible members also get access to thousands of podcasts from popular favorites, exclusive new series, and this very podcast you're listening to now. Plus, the Audible app makes it easy to listen anytime, anywhere. While traveling, working out, walking the dog, doing chores, Audible makes listening anywhere easy. And best of all, Check the Locks listeners can try Audible for free for 30 days. So head over to audibletrial.com slash checkthelocks or click the link in the show notes to start enjoying Audible today. Warning, Check the Locks podcast is a true crime podcast and may contain graphic descriptions of violence, murder, sexual assault, and more. Check the Locks podcast is not appropriate for all listeners. Listener discretion is strongly advised. to check the locks presents true crime for the short on time as always i'm john connor i'm olivia cornu saying thank you for joining us as we dive into yet another truly terrifying bite-sized true crime case olivia before we get started as always how are you doing you're making fun of me for talking with my hands nobody can see that it is a visual thing on an audio podcast but other than mocking me relentlessly how are you doing to your knowledge i was not mocking you I just get really into a truly terrifying bite-sized true crime case. Oh, okay. Well, my mistake. I definitely apologize. (laughs) But how are you doing? How has your week been? It's been pretty good. How are you? It's been a pretty casual, you know, work week. Same old same. Recovering from Mardi Gras. Same here. It's been very low key. We're, you know, still recovering from the birthday fun and stuff like that. I know you have a house guest, so this is a short on time episode you're recording in their bedroom currently. <laughs> so we will get through this as quickly as possible, but I'm glad that has been a good week for you and super happy to be here. I tell you all the time, but getting to hang out with you and record these episodes is the highlight of my week and I love to do them. So just happy we get to do another one. Yeah, and since we're always here, and I don't know if the listeners, I feel like we've talked about it a couple times, but you know, we talk about the mess behind me. It is clean. Let the listeners know that it is clean back there. My laundry is clean. We have talked about it. There's a reason that we don't do video for this podcast, and it's because Olivia runs a laundromat out of her home. (laughs) And so there is always piles of clothes behind her when we record. But because she has a house guest, laundry is clean, put away, the bed is made. I can see a blanket. So it is it is like a, a hopefully this is like a whole new you. I don't know if next week we record and your your visitor is gone, if it's just going to be a mountain of clothes again. But I'm like very interested to see how the story unfolds. I'm taking this opportunity to really turn this room into the office it needs to be. Well, I'm proud of you. you're growing up right before my eyes. You I know? know I am. I am. Anyways, we're short on time, John. So what do you got for us this week? 
Oh my God. So I had never heard about this story before. Well, let me rephrase that. I had seen the headline, but I had never really done any of the research on it. And it is a absolutely crazy story. I'm sure that a good portion of our listeners are familiar with it, but I'm hoping that we can maybe talk about it, bring a different spin to it. But today we are actually going to be talking about the Lululemon murder, which I knew Lululemon was a clothing company, but I had no idea that there was a murder that was attached to it. So really excited to jump into it. Have you heard of this story before? You know, I think I'm similar to you. Like I've seen something come across social media at some point about this, but I never really clicked on it to see what it was about. So I'm really interested. So why don't we just jump right in? All right, you got it. So around 10.05 on March 11, 2011, employees of an Apple store in Bethesda, Maryland, heard a commotion from a neighboring store. One Apple employee heard a woman's voice say, don't do this. Talk to me. What's going on? This was followed by roughly 10 minutes of shouting and grunting and the same voice saying, God, help me, please help me. Now, the shop next door was a Lululemon Athletica retail location. And according to the Apple employee, they didn't call the authorities because they believed it was, quote, just drama. Now, for those who are unfamiliar, like myself, Lululemon Athletica is a multinational athletic apparel retailer. Real expensive. Real expensive. That is why I'm unfamiliar with them because I don't have that kind of money. Also, isn't it mostly women's clothing? They have men's clothing, but it's like men's athletic wear. Okay, gotcha. Well, I'm not athletic and I don't have a ton of money. So that's <laughs> I mean, I wasn't going to say the athletic part. <laughs> <laughs> it's just implied. If you've listened to this but podcast. since we were just talking about your wife doing a 5K. Yeah. Like I said, she will be doing a 5K. I will be like, good job, honey. <laughs> like, that'll be the extent. <laughs> Now, Lululemon was founded in 1998 by Chip Wilson in Vancouver, Canada. The company originally began selling yoga pants and other yoga wear, but expanded over the years to sell other athletic wear, lifestyle apparel, accessories, and personal care products. Their first retail location opened in November of 2000, and they currently have 574 stores internationally, and they also sell online. Now, the next morning on March 12th, that particular store's manager, Rachel, arrived to open the location. It was then that she made a terrifying discovery. 30-year-old Jaina Troxel Murray was dead, lying face down in a pool of her own blood. Murray was a graduate student at Johns Hopkins University, and she had taken the job at Lululemon because she was pursuing a master's of business administration and believed that it would help her meet other active people and to attend seminars. Another employee, 29-year-old Brittany Norwood, was found bound with zip ties in the store's bathroom. Police freed the seemingly terrified Norwood and began to ask her about the events of the previous night. According to Norwood, the pair left the store at around 945. However, Norwood called the store manager to inform her that she had left her wallet and that the pair would be going back to get it. She told police that as the women entered the store, a pair of masked men slipped in behind them. According to Norwood, the men raped both women before they killed Murray. She also shared with police that she was tied up as the men shouted racial slurs at her. Norwood told police that her life was spared because the men said she was, quote, more fun to have sex with. After hearing the story, police immediately began a manhunt for the suspects. They reached out to local stores to see if any men had recently purchased ski masks, and police even believed they had a lead when they located a man who matched the description Norwood had given them. So I want to stop right there before we go any further. As we've kind of dived into the events, what the store managers found, things of that nature, where's your head at as we're diving into this? At first, I thought there was really going to be two victims. And what I think is happening here 
what I think is happening is that Norwood is the murderer here. But I want to know why no one's looking at any security cam footage. Lululemon is chalked up of security footage, I'm sure. Yeah, I don't know. Now, I will say, like, I have worked in places where there are cameras, but they don't record. So, for example, I worked at a coffee shop where if you were in the back office, you could watch what was going on in the store, but they didn't actually record. Also, I believe that Bethesda is like an upper end neighborhood outside of Washington. Right. So I don't know if maybe just because of the area, like, hey, we don't really have to worry about a lot of stuff like that. But I kind of have that same question as we're going through, because I'm like, this is 2011. There's definitely security cam footage and stuff like that. So, yeah, well, let's keep going. I'm interested to see what all shakes out with this. You got it. So as the investigation continued, something just didn't feel right to Detective Dimitri Reuven. And I don't want to spoil anything, but your spidey senses may have been going off in the right direction. Reuven was tasked with questioning Norwood several times, but he couldn't shake a suspicious feeling. In an interview, Reuven said, it's just this little voice in the back of my head. Something's just not right. The way Brittany's describing these two guys, they're racist, they're rapists, they're robbers, they're murderers. It's like the worst human being that you could possibly describe, right? In fact, each time Brittany Norwood told her story, there were inconsistencies. Police asked Norwood if she had ever been in Jana Murray's vehicle, to which she denied. But when Norwood's blood was found on the steering wheel, door handle, and the gear shift of Murray's car, police knew that Norwood was involved and arrested her for Jaina's murder. And during the trial, the gruesome truth would come to light. On the night of March 11th, Norwood and Murray were closing the Lululemon store together. Per policy, the pair was required to check each other's bag to ensure that no one was stealing from the store. During the check... Murray discovered a pair of stolen leggings in Brittany Norwood's bag. In fact, Norwood had a history of stealing. Around the time of the murder, she had actually left a hair salon refusing to pay and claiming that someone had, quote, stolen her wallet from her bag. Additionally, one of Norwood's college soccer teammates said that the pair had been best friends until Norwood began to steal money and clothing from her, and she also referred to her as a klepto. Now, when she was caught, Norwood initially said that she had bought the leggings from another employee, but Murray called that employee and they denied it. At that point, Murray confronted Norwood for stealing. It's also believed that the management of the Lululemon location believed that Norwood was stealing, but couldn't fire her without absolute proof. And Jana Murray finding stolen merchandise in her bag would be the last straw. After they left the store at 9.45 and afraid of being caught, Norwood told Murray that she had left her wallet and the pair needed to go back to get it. Once inside, Brittany Norwood violently attacked Jana Murray. According to Mary Ripple, the deputy chief medical examiner for the state, Jana Murray suffered no fewer than 331 injuries. She also testified that Norwood used at least five different types of weapons in the murder. Murray's head and face were badly bruised and covered in cuts but the blow that likely killed her was a stab wound found in the back of her neck that severed her spinal cord and entered her brain. Murray's injuries were so severe, in fact, that the family could not have an open casket during her funeral services. It was also determined that Norwood had used items from the store's toolkit to carry out the murder. This included a hammer, a knife, a merchandise peg, and a box cutter. After the attack, Brittany Norwood took Murray's keys and parked her car in a lot roughly three blocks away. Norwood then sat in the victim's vehicle for roughly an hour and a half, trying to devise a way to cover up what she had done. 
At that point, Nora would walk back to the Lululemon store and began to attempt the cover-up. She took money from the register to make it look like a robbery had occurred. She then sliced and ripped Murray's pants to make it look as if she had been sexually assaulted. At that point, Nora would also cut herself across the forehead. Then, Nora would don a pair of size 14 men's shoes. She jumped in a puddle of Murray's blood and began making tracks around the store, hoping that police would buy that a male intruder had been there. Norwood then bound her own hands and feet with zip ties and took her place in the store's bathroom. And Olivia, before we kind of go a little bit further and we talk about the defense and any sentencing, anything like that, just hearing what this woman has done to cover up her actions. I mean, when I was reading this and researching, I was like, how does someone's mind come up with this? You know, and I don't know if you had a similar feeling as we were going through the case. This to me sounds very premeditated. And I don't know if you'll get to that later or not, but to say that she had 331 injuries and that she used this toolkit at the store, I just feel like this was very premeditated. And for someone to be like, oh, well, I was afraid of getting caught for stealing a pair of leggings. I feel like there was more to the story because why would she care so much? Like you lose your job, big whoop de doo you'll just get another one. So I'm just really confused as to why this was such a brutal murder. No, and I had that same thought. I was like, $100 leggings or whatever they cost, right, like, is not worth this person's life. And then I started thinking, well, like, okay, she's stolen from other people before. She's making false claims. Like, there's some level of mental illness at play Mm -hmm. here. And I don't know if maybe that is more of the contributing factor. Maybe it's not so much like, I don't want to lose my job, but maybe it's like, I lose my job and then I can't afford this and I can't afford that. And then, you know, I end up, In this situation, like, yeah, like panic's kicking in. Yeah. My only solution then is to kill this person, which is an insane rationale. And again, that's completely speculation. But that was kind of the feeling that I got as I went through. It was like, there's some underlying issues here. It's not just like I was caught stealing and I don't want to lose my job. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I would have just been like, sure. Yeah. I stole the leggings. And then you just go get your job at the next little store in the mall. I mean, like. You want to split them? You get a pair of scissors and just cut them. Everybody gets one leg. You can have one leg. I'll have one leg. Okay, keep going. I got to hear how this goes, how this pans out. Awesome. Now, in regards to what you're talking about, interestingly enough, Norwood's defense team didn't deny that she had murdered Jaina Murray. However, they did argue that the events of that evening were not premeditated. John, correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't there like more of a charge or like the charges can be more in murder if it's considered premeditated or not premeditated? Yes. So premeditated is like, I planned it out. You know what I mean? I came up with a plan. I knew what I was doing. And then I think what they tried to argue in this case was that it was a crime of passion where it was, if she wouldn't have been caught stealing in that moment, then this never would have happened. It was spurred by something randomly instead of this woman's been at home being like, how am I going to kill Jana Murray? You know? I don't know if that factors into like, you know, manslaughter or if it's like first degree premeditated murder, or first degree murder. Uh, but it definitely the the premeditated part definitely seems to carry a, a weightier sentence. Now, additionally, the defense lawyers were able to successfully argue that the stolen leggings were irrelevant to the trial because the information was hearsay. Because of this, Murray's attorneys were not able to share the motive of the crime with the jury. The defense argued that without a motive, again, this would be a crime of passion. However, the jury did not agree. At the end of the six-day trial, Brittany Norwood was found guilty of first-degree murder and sentenced to life in prison. 
After her conviction, Montgomery County State's Attorney John McCarthy said her cunning and ability to lie is almost unparalleled. And the judge in the case told Norwood that she was, quote, one hell of a liar, ma'am. Brittany Norwood is currently serving her life sentence at the Maryland Correctional Institution for Women. So that's this week's case. We kind of worked through it. What are your thoughts on it? Where you at? I think it all panned out the way that it was supposed to be. That sure seemed premeditated to me. I feel like there could be more to the story other than just stealing these leggings. I think the defense was trying any way to make the sentence lesser by saying, since there wasn't a motive and the leggings and stealing them weren't a motive, it's a crime of passion. But I mean, she murdered this girl. Not just murdered her, but like, I'm still stuck on the 331 injuries. That's intense. That's insane over a pair of leggings. Yeah. And for me, I think the lingering question, and maybe a listener knows this or someone can shed a little bit of light on this. For me, the lingering question is, is there an amount of time that has to pass for something to be called premeditated? Because they left the store at 945. They went back in to get the wallet at 1005. That's when the commotion started. So when they left at 945, Did she take a couple of minutes and be like, okay, well, this is what I'm going to do this. I'm going to kill her and then say, oh, hey, I think we need to go back to the store. I left my wallet like that window, I think, is where the question is, because I think if they had found the leggings and she just attacked her, you know, they're saying there's no gap in time. It's immediately whatever sick instinct she had kicked in and it unfolded the way that it did. But this is like we left the store. She came up with a plan. I need to go back in my wallet. And then all of this unfolded. So for me, that's the real, because I feel like you can premeditate something in a couple of, it doesn't, you don't take months of planning to formulate a plan, if that makes sense. No. And then the other part of this that makes me feel like it's really premeditated is she went and sat in the car figuring out how am I going to cover this up? So like there was a lot of thought about this. I would be interested to know if there's a certain amount of time allotted to consider something premeditated, but I just think you can't trust who you're working with. This was sketchy. And I'm ready to jump in on the deadbolt test. Yeah, we can definitely get into that. I will say before we jump into it, though, I think the hardest part for me about the story was thinking about Jana Murray's parents because she suffered, like you said, these 331 wounds and was killed in this most horrific way to the point where you can't even have an open casket. And then you learn that it's about a pair of leggings. You know, you you first hear that your daughter was murdered and the story is they were attacked, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm sure as a parent, that's hard enough. And then later you learn that, oh, my daughter was killed because she was doing the right thing because somebody stole. Yeah. And she lost her life over a hundred dollar pair of leggings. It's just ridiculous. But, you know, not to play into the trope of our podcast, but, you know, as a dad, that was a hard thing for me to listen to. And I know I say that a lot, but, you know, I was like, man, thinking about my kid being killed over something so small would be insane. But it really is. Well, this was a tough one. This was a good one. Let's jump into the deadbolt test. I mean, we've covered it. We've talked about it. We've worked out our feelings at the end of the episode. What are you putting this at? I'm giving it an eight. I think if it was just like a accidental murder over a pair of leggings, maybe a three. But this was this woman literally took every tool out of the tool bag in Lululemon and tortured and murdered this poor young woman. And it just shows that you can't trust anybody, really. I mean, she just thought this was her coworker who was probably like, 
a troublemaker at work, but like, no big deal. We're just closing the store. I used to work at the mall. I worked at Aldo when I was in college. And I could say that I would think that, oh yeah, I'm just closing the store down with whomever, you know, walk out, go to the car, not think twice about it. So this is an eight for me. I agree with you. I'm going to put it in eight as well. And it's funny that you say that because I actually worked at the mall as well. I worked at a coffee beanery in the Westland Mall. I think we've talked about it before, but I was just in a little outdoor coffee shop, like right in the middle of the mall. (laughs) But yeah, I was kind of notorious growing up. I mean, I've had probably 50 jobs and most of those were when I was a teenager. Like I would work someplace and if I didn't like it, I would walk across the street and apply somewhere else. Like I worked at Carabas for a total of four hours and then was like, <laughs> no, I just, I walked out. Like, I was just like, if I didn't like it, I wasn't doing it. Yeah, but, that's what I'm saying. This is the time of, of the life where like you jump from job to job to job because, oh, I don't want to work and sell shoes anymore. I want to go sell clothes or I want to go work at a yogurt shop. Like, I mean, I had a bunch of little jobs. So I was like, OK, no big deal. You stole the leggings. Move on. They're not going to press charges against you. They're going to ask for the leggings back. And you just go get your next job at the mall. Yeah, I got electrocuted at Chuck E. Cheese working on a video game. And I walked across the street to Blockbuster and got hired that day. <laughs> I was like, I don't work at Chuck E. Cheese anymore. My <laughs> fingertips were smoking. It was weird. But I've closed a lot of stores down, you know, and I've worked with a lot of different types of people. And this is one of those things, like you said, and we talk about it, you know, a lot when it comes to cases about relationships and stuff like that. But it's like, you never really know anyone. Like, If you think you really know your wife or your husband and they can do something terrible, like think about just the dude that you're like making pizzas with or selling shoes with or, you know, whoever. So for me, just the brutality of this murder and something happening to someone over a job that they probably didn't really care all that much about, you know what I mean? It's heartbreaking. So I'm going to put it in Nate. I'm right there with you. Well, that is where we fall on this week's deadbolt test. Olivia and I are coming in at a tie. We're both putting in it at an eight, but we want to know where does the Lululemon murder fall on your deadbolt test? You can let us know. Reach out to us on Instagram at Check the Locks Pod. Find us on Twitter at Check the Locks. And if you're not in our Facebook group, what are you doing? Come hang out with us. We're in there hanging out on the daily. We would love to get to hang out with you. If you are interested in financially supporting Check the Locks, the best way to do that is to become a patron. Head over to patreon.com forward slash check the locks. You can sign up. We have stickers, coffee mugs, exclusive t-shirts, all sorts of cool stuff just for helping us keep the lights on. And if you can't financially support the show, just listening, hanging out with us every week means just as much, if not more. So if you like what we do, send a link to a friend, a family member, let them know about it, invite them to the Facebook group. That is going to help us grow our audience and more importantly, grow this amazing community. So if you listen, if you shared it, thank you so much from the bottom of our hearts. It means the world to us. That is all that we have for this week's episode of Check the Locks Presents True Crime for the Short on Time. Make sure you're subscribed to the show on your favorite podcast app so you never miss an episode. We will see you next week with a brand new, truly terrifying, bite-sized true crime case. But until then, don't forget to check the locks. We'll see you next week. Cobble, cobble. <laughs> I'm leaving it in. You were waiting. I was. Okay.